listening to Beyond the Game. I love you guys. Love the program. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out world. It's a faith-based sports radio program. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. I love everything about it. The, the, the beards, the handshakes. That just means I'm never leaving my kids alone with you. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome into the Beyond the Game program. Very glad to have you along on this weekend in between Christmas and New Year's. Sort of a no man's land really on the calendar. Many of us struggling to know what day it is as we try to eat as many leftovers as we can, as many extra cookies as we can before they all go bad. You can find out more about the BTG program either at our website or social media links, btgprogram.com or at btgprogram. Zach is away. I have family in town, so we have a highlights episode prepared for you today. I'll be introducing to you some previously aired segments, but before we do that, let's give a listen to this week's Red Hawks recap, updated for this week, and then we'll come right on back and get into this week's show. Looking back on the week in Roberts Wesleyan College Athletics, this is the Red Hawks recap for the week covering up through Thursday, December 26th. The Red Hawks recap is brought to you by Roberts Wesleyan College. Last Friday, the Roberts Wesleyan women's basketball team traveled to Florida to take part in the Hampton Inn Classic, opening the tournament with a 57-46 win over the University of West Florida. Three Red Hawks reached double digits in scoring with Taryn Wilson leading the way with 16 points, Sarah Nady with 12, and Demetra Gigzani adding 10. They closed out the event the next day with a 78-75 overtime victory over St. Leo University. Sarah Nady paced the Red Hawks with 22 points, including a game-tying three-pointer with less than a minute to go. Emily Miller recorded a double-double, her second within a week, 21 points, 11 rebounds, and Wilson rounded out the trio of double-digit scores with 14 points. The men were on the road in Albany, taking on the College of St. Rose, where Reggie Clark's 25 points helped erase a 10-point second-half deficit en route to an 89-85 Red Hawks win. Clark was joined by three other teammates who scored in double digits, Shane Fanning hit four three-pointers and finished the game with 19 points. Armand Nasiri and Amari Lee each added 17. The Red Hawks men were a perfect 8-for-8 from the free-throw line during the final two minutes to close out the game. No chances to see the Red Hawks at home until January 4th when the women's basketball team welcome in Cheney University of Pennsylvania. Then there'll be a basketball doubleheader on Friday, January 10th against the University of Bridgeport with the women playing at 6 p.m. followed by the men at 8. And looking down the road a bit, I want to let you know about a special night of Red Hawks basketball on Friday, January 24th, as it is FCA night at Roberts Wesleyan College. Come celebrate the local ministry of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes together with other athletes, coaches, and local FCA huddles as they fellowship together and share what FCA has meant to them. That's Friday, January 24th, as the Red Hawks welcome in the New York Institute of Technology, the women tipping off at 6, followed by the men at 8, Contact FCA to register before January 22nd for free admission. You can get their number from their website, nyfca.org. You can stay up to date with all the Roberts Wesleyan Athletics action, the only Division II college athletics program in Rochester, by visiting their website, robertsredhawks.com. And, of course, you can follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter, at RWC Redhawks. This has been the Red Hawks Recap, presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. 
Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Welcome back into a highlights edition of the Beyond the Game program, btgprogram.com or at btgprogram sports talk from a faith-based point of view. This first segment was aired earlier this month, December 6th to be exact. Zach and I discussed that post-Thanksgiving sort of black hole of the sports season, as well as talking about the chaotic ranking system in college sports. Comparing one team to another can be difficult if there's no singular standard. And when we compare ourselves to others, we may look okay, but compared to the singular standard of Jesus Christ for holiness, we see our need for a savior. I actually dislike the Christmas season. Now, don't misunderstand. I love the celebration of the birth of Christ. I love time with family, especially the quiet moments on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. But I can go without the videos of people fighting in some department store over a TV or the constant barrage of marketing and advertisements, as I'm sure you've had for a week or so now. I've been getting a crazy amount of emails. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Offering me discounts on this thing or that thing and asking me to give money to their calls while they have matching donors in place or something. But the ads I really hate are the car commercials, seemingly running during every break, every time out of the games. There are messages often, if you don't if you don't buy your spouse this car, then you don't really love them. The one that really gets me is where the woman proclaims that she's got a little something for her and her husband, and she puts down, I think it's a set of sunglasses or something. Then he says, I've got something for you too. And they, they both go outside, and here's these... Two SUVs, or maybe they're pickup trucks, one black, one red, and she runs over to the black one. Hey, what are these, $65,000, $70,000 vehicles? Two of them, different colors for his and hers? Who does that? Yeah, and they always have gigantic bows on the top that are almost as big as the car. And I want to know, where do you go to get a bow the size <laughs> of a Volkswagen? Because I have not seen them in stores. But second of all, like if I did that, first of all, I don't make enough money to do that, to go buy two fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 vehicles on a whim for Christmas. But if I did, and I bought cars without asking my wife first and was like, surprise, I bought cars, you would never hear from me again because I would be murdered. <laughs> but another reason I tend to dislike the season is because of how much of a sports black hole it really is. Yeah, The baseball hot stove more and more seems to be non-existent until after the new year, although we had a little activity this week. The NFL is there, but college football games go through several weeks between the end of the regular season and the important bowl games. Although we do get some great conference playoff games and the Army-Navy game is there. College basketball has some fun Thanksgiving break tournaments, but outside a few key matchups from time to time, the real excitement doesn't kick in until after the new year, really February. The NHL and NBA seasons are so long that until the playoff push kicks in, we really only have a couple of occasional great matchups that, you know, you really want to see. The NHL gives us the outside games, and they're fun. The NBA gives us the Christmas Day schedule, and that's fun. 
and they're both designed to break up the monotony of a long season. So we're left with a little of everything, but nothing really great, hoping that the quantity and the variety makes up for the lack of any real quality in the games. October gives us everything, and then shortly thereafter, we have this black hole. I guess we also get the goofy college rankings to monitor and try to figure out what's going on there. Wouldn't you think there'd be a better system by now than relying on voters who at times don't seem to have a clue? And I know I'm bringing up a problem without suggesting a solution, but part of the problem is some of these voters just don't pay attention. And I'm not talking about the occasional team that catches everyone by surprise, say, for instance, this year's college basketball, where you got the Michigan Wolverines unranked up until last week. But then winning two big games over North Carolina and Gonzaga, now they're up to number four. They jumped all the way, not just into the top 25 or top 10, all the way to number four. By the way, that ties the 1989 Kansas Jayhawks for the biggest jump from the unranked. And that is since the history of the polls began in 1949 or 1950, something like that. And what I'm talking about is relying on guys like the one guy who writes for the Daily Times in Tennessee. And my suspicion is that He doesn't watch a whole lot of games apart from Tennessee. Of course, I don't know. Maybe he watches the major matchups, but he certainly must not have been watching Texas Tech this week, who were ranked number 12 in the AP poll. But then he moves them up to number 11 after they lost. They went 0-2 this week, both losses to unranked teams. Anytime you have a selection like this that's in the hands of human beings, somebody's going to get it wrong. And you know... That's been a hot-button issue for me for a long time in any selection process. The NCAA selection process, the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, voting for the awards, anything. You get voters who aren't actively involved. You get um, the, the example I always go to is a few years ago, it came out that there was a guy voting for the Baseball Hall of Fame who was a golf writer. <laughs> he had been a baseball writer way back when, and he still had a vote, but he hadn't actively been involved with baseball journalism in like a decade. And you have to somehow keep up a high set of standards for who's allowed to vote because you get guys like this goofball who's voting for teams he hasn't even seen you know it's you have to somehow stay on top of it and and who has a vote and who doesn't and i don't really know how to do that and people have biases and i get look i this guy probably this he had a lot going on it's thanksgiving week who knows what it was and maybe he just didn't get to see the games this week but those are the sort of circumstances that with a voting situation how do you avoid that And, I mean, maybe he didn't have time to watch the games, but did he have 30 seconds to check the score on Twitter and just see that they lost badly two games in a row? Like, it it would have taken such a little time and effort for him just to catch up before turning in his vote, and he didn't do it. And that, I think, is disgraceful. The thing is, when you have the responsibility to compare teams with one another, you have to know what's going on with them. You have to know what's going on with them all. You can't not be aware that a team you're suggesting to move up a spot in the rankings has just suffered two bad losses in a row. It's also why this season signals the annual debate over some sort of playoff system in college football. You can't leave it in the hands of voters who don't pay attention, or in fairness, can't really pay attention to everything. And while some would argue that, you know, that line of in or out is always going to be somewhere, whether it's between the fourth and fifth ranked teams, between the eighth and ninth, between 16th and 17th, wherever it is, to which I'd respond that while many times the fifth ranked team, they could make a legitimate claim that they could get to number one. Almost never, if actually never, can the ninth ranked team 
make such a claim. So I'm in favor of an 18 playoff. In fact, with the exception of number eight, Wisconsin, all the teams in the top eight have one loss. It's the number eight Badgers where the list of two loss teams begin. And I realize that could change this weekend, but I think it really supports my argument. You need eight teams. You don't need any more than that. And given that number four, Georgia, has the monumental task of having to beat number one LSU in this weekend's SEC championship game, they're staring at a second loss and falling out of the playoff picture. But should they? They have a bad loss to South Carolina. But I still see them as a top eight football program who could potentially, though maybe not likely, especially if they can't beat LSU this weekend, play their way through an eight-team tournament and win a title. I can see Georgia doing that. It's extremely difficult to compare one team to another and say which is better. Different conferences, different opponents, different game day weather conditions, and any number of variables add to that difficulty. If Georgia loses, who deserves the number four spot? And a spot in the playoff? Utah? Oklahoma? Baylor? Should there be extra consideration for a team based on their conference? And Many give Utah only a marginal chance to make the playoffs despite only one loss because they play in the Pac-12. And maybe that works itself out tonight as they have to play number 13, Oregon, who are 10-2 and for the Pac-12 title. It'd be so much easier if there was one standard by which we compare each team instead of this multi-tiered sort of random standard like comparing each team to one another. Jesus' disciples experienced the same thing. Remember when Peter first came to the realization who, who Jesus Christ truly was? He immediately fell to his knees and confessed that he was not worthy. Luke chapter 5, verse 8 says, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter realized his own spiritual bankruptcy compared to Jesus. But on another occasion, he and the other disciples were arguing about who is the greatest among them. They were debating on who would be Jesus' right-hand man. They knew they could compare. They could not compare to Christ, I should say. But each probably thought they compared favorably against one another. Most well-thinking people realize they don't measure up to a holy, righteous, loving God. But hey, against the likes of you, I'm not so bad. In fact, I'm pretty good. That's why we need God to forgive our sins based on Christ and not on ourselves. We don't measure up to God's standard of holiness. And to spend eternity in heaven, that is what we're compared to, not how we look or how we compare to one another. It's great that you're not a thief, you're not a rapist, or you're not a murderer. You may not be as bad as someone else, but you still don't meet God's standard. But there is good news, and that's that Jesus does. And by putting your faith in him, God is willing to forgive you based on Jesus' standard instead of yours. This is what Jesus offers, freedom from the burden of sin and guilt. Now, you've carried the burden too long, and there is no better time than now to give it to Jesus. The Bible promises that by confessing our sins, God's willing to forgive us. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter who you've hurt or who has hurt you. God loves you and wants a relationship with you. Let him be part of your life. Romans 10.13 says, For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus died on the cross, 
sacrificing a perfect and holy life in order to pay the penalty of your sins and mine. And when you ask God to forgive you and you're willing to repent from your sin, he extends his remarkable grace and accepts Jesus' holy standard instead of your sinfulness. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But while Jesus died on the cross, gave his life there, he proved he had the power over life and death by rising from the grave three days later. The gift of eternal life in heaven is not something that you can earn. You can't be good enough. Salvation is only through asking God to forgive you and accepting by believing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, if you want to be forgiven of your sins, you want to spend eternity in heaven, then you need to admit to God that you're a sinner and ask him to forgive you. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. I hope you'd pray to God and admit your sin and guilt and tell him that you believe Jesus died on the cross for you, that he was buried and that he rose again. And I hope you'd ask God to forgive you and ask him to help you in repenting from sin. And if there's any way that we can help, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can reach out through our website, btgprogram.com. Perhaps there's something we can pray about for you. Hey, stick around. We've got plenty more to do. Along with Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program. Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of unsolved mysteries, mythical monsters, murder whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, the Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play, or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries podcast, and we'll see you next time. Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program, btgprogram.com or at btgprogram. With the holidays upon us, Zach and myself both enjoying time with family. This is a highlights episode today. This next segment is taken from the broadcast we aired just last week. In it, Zach and I talk about what seems to be yet another video recording scandal involving the New England Patriots. An investigation is yet ongoing, but was this team ever really remorseful after getting disciplined for videoing opponents once before? Trust is generally restored based on remorse and repentance. Do you trust the Patriots? Here's that episode from last week. After video footage that we saw this weekend, I think it was Fox's pregame show that released it, showing the Cincinnati Bengals sidelines shot last week by freelance photographer working for the New England Patriots. It's difficult to not have questions about why this video was shot and 
where the idea originated to shoot it in the first place. The video seems pretty condemning. If you haven't seen it, it appears that someone with the Bengals security staff is videoing as evidence what it is that the Patriots were recording. The security member can be heard questioning the Patriots employee about the footage itself and, and on talk radio throughout this week. I've heard a number of Patriots fans actually calling into programs and dismissing this as nothing at all. And I realize the league is still investigated and maybe there's some sort of explanation. But I'll tell you, there's no defending it based on what we know to this point. We're in the rare position where we've actually been able to see the video thanks to Jay Glazer releasing it. And I mean, it looks pretty bad. Um you know, you've got you can hear the guy in the background saying, well, how about if I just delete the video and we could forget about it? And they're like, "Nah, it's too late for that, buddy. You know, and and the, and the, the Bengals guy is pointing out to the Patriots guy. This is supposed to be you're filming your your scout and the scouts nowhere to be seen in this video. So what's the deal here? You know, and, and it just it's not only a view of the sideline, but the camera is following the player substitutions on and off the field. Mm. And I, I mean, look, I don't know how helpful that is, but I know it's against the rules to film it, and it does look pretty bad. The Patriots employee responds saying, uh, I was trying to get some field perspective. That's my bad. Like, like saying my bad is just, oh, that takes you off the hook. You know, I acknowledge it. Stop. Mm-hmm. And then says that he didn't know he wasn't allowed to shoot the sideline and apologize. The Bengal security guy, he asked what we'd all like to know. How did you not know? Well, the Patriots aren't so much denying it, but they're dismissing it as nothing to get worked up about because the football side of the franchise had no idea that the entertainment side was filming the Bengals. And if you believe that, let me just say that's difficult to believe. In fact, the supervising producer said, it never occurred to me that my actions and the actions of my crew would be misconstrued. I'm not so sure they're misconstrued. I think we it, it, it looks pretty clear what you were trying to do. Man, I, I don't know how you how you defend this. People familiar with the matter said New England violated NFL rules, but out of stupidity, not malice. The Patriots have acknowledged that the video crew was wrong to shoot the field, but Coach Bill Belichick had no knowledge of it. Again, Really kind of tough to believe. And, and I have to wonder why the Patriots, a 10-3 and three at the time, would feel a need to video a one-win team like the Bengals or Belichick or anyone else with the Patriots, why they would risk being caught again after being fined $250,000 and losing a first-round draft pick back in 2007 after the original spike eight. Belichick himself was fined 500000 Why would you risk doing it again unless you are so arrogant that you just don't think this this applies to you, or maybe it's worth it. Maybe you can afford, if it's going to lead to titles and it's going to lead to Super Bowls, maybe you can afford a $500,000 fine and a loss of a draft pick, which is why I really think the NFL needs to come down hard on the Patriots. Yeah, well, especially because you're the Patriots, this isn't... This isn't your first rodeo. You know, it's not your first videotaping scandal. How are you not really careful about this sort of thing? Yeah. You know, it, they need to be punished because at a minimum, they were incredibly negligent. And at a maximum, they're cheating again. So uh, we're going to see some sort of punishment. It's just going to be a matter of how severe. Belichick said, we don't knowingly, intentionally want to do anything that's across the line. 
Who's buying that? Nobody. And for much the same reason as we talked about Michael Vick on last week's show, they have damaged their reputation. And now there's there's nothing they can do that for some people are ever going to forgive them or be able to believe them again. And you know what someone wants to see after they've been caught doing something wrong? People want to see repentance. They want to see them change their ways and acknowledge their wrongs. But this is not the Patriots way. Before trust is restored, you look for some sort of acknowledgement that they've done something wrong and that they'll not do it again, or at least try not to do it again. But again, that doesn't seem like that's the Patriots. Repentance follows brokenness, a realization that a mistake was made and a regret for having made it. Then comes the turning around so as to not do it again. Our faith in Christ comes through brokenness over sins. If there was never an acknowledgement of sin, there was never regret over them, then there's no repentance. We'd be like the patriots, allegedly be like the patriots, denying them and then repeating them. However, when we realize that we have sinned, and come on, for nearly all of us, it seems as undeniable as what we've seen in that video that the Bengal staff guy had of the patriots, what they were shooting. We've been caught red-handed. In fact, in the Bible, in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Without forgiveness, we're still condemned as a result of our sins. John chapter 3, verse 18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. None of us are righteous. We all need God to forgive our sins if we're going to make it to heaven and be with him after our life here on earth is done. But we need to acknowledge our sin. We need to have regretted our sin, and we need to turn away. We need to repent from our sin. We need to ask him to forgive us. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins and ask him to forgive us, he will indeed forgive us. First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, God loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. Let him be part of your life. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He laid down his life, his sinless life. It was perfect. It was holy. But he gave it up to pay the price of your sins and mine. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If you want to be forgiven of your sins, if you want to spend eternity in heaven, then turn to God and admit your sin to him and ask him to forgive you. And, and as always, if there's some way that we can help you, please don't hesitate in reaching out. Maybe we can pray for you. You can reach out through our website, btgprogram.com. Thanks so much for being with us this week on the Beyond the Game program. Please don't forget this radio program only hits the airways thanks to the generous support of our listeners. It's because of your prayers and because of your financial gifts that the Beyond the Game radio program is possible. Please pray about becoming a supporter of this radio ministry, and if you do feel led to give a financial gift of any amount at all, whether it be a one-time or recurring gift, please visit our website, btgprogram.com. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at this same time. Be bold, 
and be great this week, everybody. Okay.